This is episode number 18 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because, well, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him because the liberal mainstream media has completely lost their minds and can no longer be objective if they ever could be. And the conservative, as I refer to them now, the state-run media, has been compromised and completely co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media and join our over 11,000 Twitter followers at our Twitter handle, which is Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. The uh, first thing I want to talk about today of many different topics is the fact that the House Judiciary Committee today has subpoenaed the entire Robert Mueller report into the uh, Russian intrusion to the 2016 election. As you well know, the Mueller report somehow, someway has not yet been revealed in any way, shape or form. Not one word of it has been released to the public or even to Congress. This now a couple of weeks after Bill Barr got the report and issued his now famous or infamous four page summary of Mueller's conclusions Uh, Jerry Nadler, who is the head of the Judiciary Committee, and, you know, I often talk about how the world is upside down, (laughs) and and Trump clearly has turned it upside down. But one of the things that he has done, which is so bizarre to me, is that he has created a situation where people like me, hardcore conservatives, are actually looking at people who we used to have disdain for, like a Jerry Nadler, (laughs) who's an extreme liberal, and I've never had much respect for uh, as now the, the people who are willing to stand up for what is right and tell the truth. But Jerry Nadler, the head of the Judiciary Committee, made a fantastic statement today where he explained the uh, subpoena of these uh, documents and the underlying evidence of the Mueller report and how important it is that we get to the bottom of this so that future presidents cannot get away with the same kind of stuff that it appears as if Donald Trump has already done. And It was very clear from that statement that at least uh, when it comes to Nadler, who's in a very powerful position, if there's ever going to be an impeachment of Donald Trump, that's where this is going to originate in the Judiciary Committee of the House of Representatives. So Jerry Nadler is a key key person. It is obvious that he is not backing away from this issue. And that's pretty telling. Now, of course, there's no indication he has seen the Mueller report. But, uh, you know, it's obvious that he is not among those who said, "Okay, this is a a done deal. Let's move on. Nothing to see here. Oops. Sorry about that. We were wrong. He is clearly at least not at this point in that category. And neither is the House Intelligence Committee chairman, Adam Schiff. We played a very long clip from Adam Schiff with his uh, it's not okay with me speech to Republicans who wanted his resignation as the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee in our last episode of the Individual One podcast. And he has said today that it is a near certainty that Robert Mueller will testify to Congress, probably to his committee, if not uh, one of the others, probably Intelligence Committee. 
And uh, so when Schiff and, and Nadler are clearly not backing away, uh, and, and, and there's a good reason for that, it might be because they already know enough, based upon what's in the public record, to use their brains and go, wait a minute, this report can't possibly fully exonerate Donald Trump. And there's going to be, when there's almost 400 pages, as we're now told in the Mueller report, clearly there's going to be some really bad stuff there. And so let's not just take Bill Barr at his word, face value, especially when he's using phrases like not exonerated that could mean virtually everything. But of course, since they're politicians, and this is always about politics, there's some polling data that is also, I think, given uh, a stiffening to their spine. And that is that basically the bar summary has had almost no impact on anybody from the, based upon the polls. Correct. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, Trump's approval rating has gotten a, a very small, if any, bump from the bar summary. And even the internals of these polls have indicated that the American public is just not swayed. A very small percentage of people, and I'm sure they're all Trump fans to begin with, have said, yep, uh, the bar summary is good enough for us. Uh, let's move on. He's been exonerated. Uh, the much larger numbers of people are saying, well, wait a minute, hold on. Let, let's see the full report. And so uh, I think that's probably why Nadler and Schiff feel as if they are willing to say, hold on, let's get to the bottom of this. There's no backing away yet. It's interesting what Bill Barr said, but let's make sure that we get to the details and that uh, this is not some sort of a either overt or, or uh, you know, some sort of a cover-up. And I, I think cover-up is too strong a word, which is why I stumbled all over that. I don't believe that Bill Barr is covering it up. I think that Bill Barr is putting lipstick on a pig here. And what's really interesting to me about this theory of Bill Barr shading things in Trump's direction, which he has every incentive personally to do, which is why he was chosen for the job in the first place based upon a memo he wrote a couple of years ago about the Mueller investigation and the potential of indicting a sitting president for obstruction of justice. And uh, that's what got Trump's attention. And that's why Barr was taken out of mothballs, it appears, to be made attorney general. And I go back to Jeff Sessions. I mean, when the story of this whole thing is finally written, I really think the firing of Jeff Sessions is, is the most underrated event in this whole timeline. And it's because it happened after months and months and months and months of speculation that Trump was going to fire Sessions. And it happened the day after an election, which is, of course, highly suspicious. But it also happened in the middle of a bat or just after a bat crap crazy press conference, probably the craziest press conference that Trump gave in his entire presidency. So it just got lost. And here it was opening the door for Trump to pick his own attorney general, Bill Barr, knowing that this day was going to come. But there's something else that has happened, I think, in the last week or so since people have kind of gotten their bearings. I, I, you know, I don't know whether it's just the way my brain works or whatever. I'm not an emotional person. I'm very logical. People have called me Spock-like. But it didn't take me long to go, why is everyone accepting Bill Barr's summary so quickly? Uh, this doesn't make any sense to me. And, and that feels like 
that it has become a, a position that is much more popular among the mainstream in the last week or so. In fact, my boss at Mediate, I write a column a couple times a week at Mediate, Dan Abrams is the founder of that website. He's ABC News uh, law correspondent. You see him all the time on Good Morning America in 2020 and mostly on legal issues. Just the other day, Dan Abrams came out and said, I'm thinking that this uh, Mueller report is going to be very bad for Trump and that it is quite possible that Trump and his minions, those are that's my word, I don't know what word Dan used, but, but uh, his supporters, his sycophants, have overplayed their hand potentially rather badly here in taking a victory lap and spiking the football. I'm, I'm trying to see how many cliches I can use in, in one short uh, period of time here. But they're all apt, they're all accurate to describe the behavior of Trump and those who support him. And, you know, I've talked a lot when it comes to Mueller about the expectations game. In fact, I wrote an article for media several months ago saying Trump has won the expectations game, that there's no possible way that Mueller is going to be able to prove anything close to what some people are expecting, whether it happened or not with regard to Russian collusion or obstruction or what have you. Well, what's really interesting about what's happened over the last couple of weeks now since this bar summary is that I think Trump has now lost the expectations game and that because he decided to take the short-term victory, and this is classic Trump, Trump is always about what's good for him today. He doesn't even think about this afternoon. He certainly doesn't talk to think about tomorrow. So, I mean, that, that's just the way Trump thinks. Correct. And so in doing that and taking the short-term victory – he, and I want to underline the word may, may, this is all premised on this idea that a 400-page report from Robert Mueller in no way, shape, or form exonerates Donald Trump or his campaign with regard to this investigation. If that's the case, Trump has forfeited his victory in the expectations game because now the expectations are that Mueller effectively exonerated him. Well, once that report becomes public, and it's pretty clear at least most of it will at some point, and that Mueller himself is going to testify, now what? Now I think his greatest advantage has been theoretically lost because Trump is not a chess player. He's not even sure he's a checkers player. Sometimes it feels like he's playing hook and ladders. So the reality is that there is a scenario, and again, this could all change just the moment that someone actually reads the report. So this expectations game quandary is really interesting to me because I, I really do believe that Trump may have forfeited that in a way that's going to harm him. Now, is it going to be devastating? No, because the bottom line is that Barr is not going to recommend an indictment on obstruction. And unless Barr is completely lying, which I don't believe, there was not enough evidence to indicate that there was conspiracy or collusion with the Russian government. So the W is still going to be there for Trump. It's still a win for him in comparison to what it could have been and theoretically maybe even what it should have been, depending on what's actually in the report. However, I think that the nature of the victory could very, very easily shift to being minuscule <laughs> if, if what is now being suspected and what the actions of Nadler and Schiff are consistent with and the feelings of not just people like Dan Abrams, but I think Dan's a pretty interesting bellwether, and the feeling that I've had since the beginning of this, 
which is just use basic logic. And there's other ways of reading the tea leaves, including some of Trump's own statements and a, a sudden unwillingness on the part of Republicans to enthusiastically back the uh, full revelation, the full release of the Mueller report. I mean, this doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if the if the people who are being exonerated aren't all that enthusiastic about the whole thing being released, then there's probably a problem. There was even a, uh, a senior administration, Trump administration, uh, source to the New York Times yesterday effectively saying, look, this isn't going to be good for us. We need to stop spiking the football and move along. Now, this could still all be part of trying to re-win the expectations game. It is quite possible that there are people within the Trump administration who realize, like I have, hey, we just spent you know, a year plus playing into this expectation of, of Mueller being able to prove uh, you know, Russian collusion and conspiracy, and therefore we won the expectations game, and now we've just forfeited it away so that Trump could have this victory party, which has had no impact on the, on the general public based upon the polls. So now we need to do something to re-win or at least not lose the expectations game. Because let's face it, expectations are everything in life. They're everything in politics. Uh, you know, heck, all you need to do is have a child and you know that expectations are everything. I have two of them. So I, I knew expectations were everything before I had children, but now that I have two young kids, it really is everything. And so how much of this is a game and how much of this is reality, we don't know yet. But it is my gut instinct that for the most part, Trump has now forfeited that victory he had in the expectations game and that whatever in the Mueller report now is potentially more damaging to him than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Again, not devastating, not the stuff that's going to take him out of uh, power, not the stuff that's going to result in a an impeachment that forces him out of office. I'm not there, but there's I, I do think that politically he may have botched this. But, of course, we have to wait. And, and I, I'll tell you exactly, I know when the Mueller report will be released. No one else does, but I do know. It will be released moments after either the Sunday or Wednesday edition of the Individual One podcast in mid-April. So, so probably not after this Sunday's edition, but I'm guessing either a week from today, the Wednesday edition, Wednesday mid-morning in Los Angeles on Los Angeles time, that's when it will be released right after we finish taping one of our Individual One podcasts. So probably right after episode 20 or 21 of the Individual One podcast. That's exactly when the Mueller report will be released. Now, whether it has anything to do with the Mueller report or not, there's been a lot of speculation over the last 24 hours about President Trump's mental health. And of course, this has been speculated about before, but there was a series of comments yesterday that renewed speculation about whether or not Trump is really all there. And uh, and I want to play some of those for you now, um, because even some serious people, some conservatives have started to really question whether or not Trump is starting to lose his marbles. Now, 
I am, and I've said this many times, you know, I get accused of having Trump derangement syndrome, which I most certainly do not have. And the reason I know I don't have it is because I correctly predict all the time that things are going to be good for Trump and and often against the conventional wisdom. And so I think I'm going to prove that again here, because while there are some things that Trump said that are weird and concerning, I'm not sure they're quite as bad as some people are making them out to be because context matters. And, of course, it's always very difficult to fully understand Donald Trump. because I don't fully understand him. I think I understand him better than 99% of pundits, but even I don't fully understand him. Uh, So let's go through a couple of these clips and and see what we make of these. One of them... Those that got a lot of play yesterday was Trump talking about the Mueller report. Now, this will serve two purposes to play this clip. One is that uh, Trump has a very difficult time pronouncing the word origins, the origins of the Mueller report. You're going to hear in this clip, which is 54 seconds long, you're going to hear him refer to the origins as oranges, not once at least twice, maybe three times, depending on uh, what, how your ear works. But at least twice, he says oranges. And that got a lot of attention. So I want you to listen to this, but also listen in the context of what I just talked about with regard to the expectations of the Mueller report and how fearful Trump is. To me, him even being all that concerned about let's get to the origins as opposed to the origins or the oranges of the report see it's not that easy folks the reality is i think this is an indication that he himself is a bit worried because he's oh he wants to go back to how the investigation began so he can discredit the whole thing that everything is is the fruit of a poisoned tree I actually wrote a column about this a couple just before Bill Barr's uh, summary, talking about how that's why he's obsessed with John McCain, because he blames John McCain for having the Steele dossier get into the public domain, which is, first of all, not accurate, and I don't think it's even relevant. But here is Donald Trump with a clip that got a lot of attention because of his mispronunciation of the word origins. I hope they now go and take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings of that investigation. You look at the origin of the investigation, where it started, how it started, who started it, whether it's McCabe or Comey or a lot of them. Where does it go? How high up in the White House did it go? You will all get Pulitzer Prizes, okay? You're going to all get Pulitzer Prizes. Uh, You should have looked at it a long time ago. And that's the only thing that's disappointing to me about the Mueller report. The Mueller report, I wish, covered the oranges, how it started, the beginnings of the investigation, how it started. It didn't cover that. And for some reason, none of that was discussed. Now, what's interesting as far as the oranges is that he clearly understands that he's mispronounced it because he he this he tries to describe what origins means without using the word origins. Now, as a broadcaster, there are some times when you just get a block on a word. That happens. It's happened to me, it's probably happened to every person who's broadcasted for an extended period of time. 
that doesn't mean you're losing your marbles. It's a little weird, um, but I don't think it's indicating anything more serious than that. Now, there are some people who think that uh, this sounds like the kind of thing that comes out of someone's mouth when they've had a stroke. Uh, Look, I'm not a medical expert on this. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think there's any evidence of that. And to me, it's one of those things where, you know, we always use the if Obama did it, uh, standard of the conservative media. If Obama did it, uh, the conservative media would go bananas, and this happens on a daily basis where the conservative media ignores things that if Obama did the same thing, uh, they would go uh, go nuts because they love Trump and they loathed Obama. Well, if Obama did it, I don't think anybody in the liberal media would even think twice about it. Of course, Obama might joke about it, that he screwed up the word. Trump is incapable of that because of his ego, although Obama's ego was massive as well. At least it, Obama sometimes had enough self-deprecation, the ability to self-deprecate where he could make a joke about it. So I'm going to discount oranges. I, unless this becomes more of a trend, I don't think it's all that significant, although it did get an awful lot of play. Now, at the same event, Trump said something to me that was far more peculiar And this got maybe a little bit more attention than oranges. Um, And I want to play that for you as well, because he starts talking about NATO and Germany, and he references his father. Now, his father is Fred Trump. He clearly says father here. And here's what he says about uh, where his father was born. My father is German, right? Was German. And uh, born in a, a very wonderful place in Germany. And so I have a great feeling for Germany. Now, that's all very interesting, (laughs) except for the fact there's one there's one little problem. And that is that Fred Trump was not born in Germany. (laughs) He was born in the Bronx. Correct. So so how does that happen? Now, there's there's two theories here. Uh, There's the theory that Donald Trump simply misspoke and meant to say his grandfather. Now, that's certainly possible. Um, That's not a mistake that I have ever made. You know, I I have never in my life, uh, without correcting myself, certainly, referenced my uh, uh, father when I meant my grandfather. That's never happened to me. I'm quite sure of it, and I'm quite sure it would never occur. And then this is, again, this is a public event where the President of the United States is speaking to the media. So it's not like, you know, his mind is not aware of the fact that what he's saying is going to be given some significance. So he doesn't correct himself. And there's evidence that he has done this before. In fact, there's at least two other occasions where he has appeared to reference his father having been born in Germany. So there's two basic possibilities here. Either for some reason he has this weird block, and, you know, I I think this is theoretically possible, that he has more affection for his grandfather than he does for his father. Remember, his father and he had a very complicated relationship. I, I am of the belief that the seminal moment of Donald Trump's life was when his father sent him away to military school. I really believe that that was a shock uh, to his system, that it, it totally changed the way he viewed everything. 
And uh, and so he blames his father for that. Now, granted, he got a lot of money from his father. None of it was taxed properly. And that's uh, the the that's the oranges of Trump's entire wealth is the the way that Fred Trump was able to effectively funnel money to his children and to Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, is it possible that he's he's just making a mistake there? I guess so. But there's a a much darker possibility, which is that Donald Trump just creates reality in his own head. And then if he says it enough, he starts to actually believe it. And for some reason, his brain has decided that it's it's a more interesting story that his father was born in Germany. I don't know what the reality is of that. But when a guy is a pathological liar, that is certainly consistent with that. And, of course, there's a great irony here that <laughs> here's a guy who went around for years saying that Barack Obama might be might have been born in Kenya and not the United States. And here he is claiming his own father was born in Germany when he was born in the United States. But it's just all so crazy. And I guess maybe the most uh, important thing is that it's so crazy and yet, we've already forgotten about it. We're on to something else, whatever it is that Trump's doing on any particular day. And I, I don't know how significant it is. That, that, that one is more troubling to me than oranges, because I don't see a, a benign explanation for that. And it is certainly consistent with the idea uh, that, you know, he's starting to lose his marbles, which, by the way, happens to a lot of people at his age. It's just that they're not president of the United States. Then last night he gave a speech, which was on C-SPAN, and he, he joked. And, and, and the idea that he could be joking about some of these things is is always important to keep in mind. But he joked that uh, the, some of the things that he was saying w- were going to be leaked to the media during this speech that he was giving to a Republican group. And... Of course, everyone immediately thought, well, does he not understand that this is being broadcast live on C-SPAN? <laughs> that's that's troubling, unless he's somehow joking about it. But what got more attention than that was his diatribe about wind farms. Now, I got to say that there's a very good chance that this has been taken out of context, although the context, as it often is with Trump, is somewhat complex and the media is missing at least part of this story. But I want to play for you the, the full clip here of Donald Trump at this Republican event uh, talking about the, the horrors of wind farms. Hillary wanted to put up wind, wind. If you, if you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations. Your house just went down 75% in value. And they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? You know, the thing makes it so... And, of course, it's like a graveyard for birds. All right. Now, (laughs) first of all, what the hell is the president of the United States even doing talking about this? Uh, The comment that got the most attention there was that wind farms, the noise from wind farms, causes cancer. And when that was reported out on Twitter last night, there was no sense that he was joking. Now, as you heard there, there's obviously laughter. And so the people in the audience clearly thought he was joking. And he even makes that sound effect. Like that's what ends up causing somehow uh, people to get cancer. 
if that was the end of it, I would say Trump's just joking. He's mocking uh, wind farms and he's kind of portraying the liberal version of why wind farms are bad. That would make some sense, right? He's he's kind of mocking the environmentalists who like wind farms, except there's another part of the story here. And that and it's not <laughs> that difficult, yet I haven't seen anybody mention this. And that is that Donald Trump has a very, very long and detailed history with wind farms, specifically with regard to one of his Scottish golf courses. He has been in a long, multi-year battle with the government of Scotland over a wind farm that was created in the ocean just off of one of his premier golf courses, one that he actually built himself, that he promised was going to be the greatest golf course ever made. And he lost that battle. He battled for years to try to get that farm either stopped or taken down or hidden or for him to be able to hide it from uh, the, you know, by the dunes of his golf course. And he was unsuccessful in that. And so because of his clear vendetta, personal vendetta against wind farms, I have to question, is he really joking there? Because the audience isn't going to immediately connect this to his crusade against wind farms because of his Scottish golf course. It sounds to me like he really has it out for wind farms and that maybe he is, maybe he actually is, again, this is all maybe, but maybe he actually is believing in this notion that the noise from wind farms could cause cancer because he was trying to find anything he could to latch on to to get the Scottish government to take down the wind farm next to his golf course. But with Trump, you never know. And, and of course, his, his fans will always rely on the notion that it's, it's just a joke. Yet Trump never really jokes about much of anything. He says things that are funny, but he's never self-deprecating, even though he, 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 he in my opinion, loses an awful lot of uh, opportunities for legitimate humor by not being self-deprecating. I mean, when you've got an ego as large as his, you know, he, he could really, I think, help himself quite a bit if he was self-deprecating from time to time. And it's, it would be very, very easy, but he never does it. And so I think a, a lot of uh, his fans are, are far too willing to just pass off anything that doesn't seem right as, oh, he's just joking. We see this all the time. I honestly don't know how to interpret the windmill thing. But I don't think, and here's the most important thing, when, when you take all three of those clips that we just played, I don't think that this is an indication, as some, as I mentioned, serious people have already done in the last 24 hours. I don't believe this is an indication that Donald Trump is losing his marbles. I really don't. I think this is more just Trump being who Trump is. Now, I have questions. It's, it, there are interesting data points in a potentially larger narrative if this continues. But I, I personally do not see currently enough evidence to be making the argument that Trump is nuts or losing it uh, or, you know, we, we ought to be, uh, 
um, invoking the Constitution to remove move him from office, that kind of thing. I, I just don't want one that's unrealistic. But two, I don't even think that there's a basis for it uh, on just those clips alone. It was a weird day. I'll give you that. And if those kind of weird days continue, then that's certainly a subject that we can revisit. Now, far more seriously uh, comes this issue of health care and health care reform and the coming election. And Trump uh, tweeted something today that I want I want to reference because, you know, it's not unusual for a Trump tweet to have more than one or two problems with it. But this tweet which I don't even think uh, used up the, the full 280 characters that you're allowed on Twitter, may have set a record for problems. <laughs> so, And it's an important tweet. It's not just one of his, you know, Mueller's on a witch hunt tweets or, you know, fake news or make America great again, something like that. This is very substantive. So Trump tweets about his intent to make health care a major 2020 uh, re-election campaign issue. He, he writes, quote, This will be a great campaign issue. I never asked Mitch McConnell for a vote before the election, as has been incorrectly reported, as usual, in the New York Times, but only after the election when we take back the House, etc. Republicans will always support pre-existing conditions, exclamation point. All right, well, let's let's break this down. First of all, health care will not be a great issue for Republicans in a 2020 campaign. Uh, and that's obvious. Correct. Uh, anybody who understands the nature of politics knows that health care, especially post-Obamacare, uh, is an issue that plays right into the Democrats' hands. If they are, are asked, okay, if this is going to be a substantive campaign, what's the one issue we want this campaign to be about? They would say universally... In fact, they would probably say universally healthcare, uh, but they would say uh, 100% healthcare. Let's make this election about healthcare. So the idea that that Trump wants to make the 2020 election about healthcare and not, for instance, about the healthy economy, well, it's just flat out ridiculous. It's absurd. So right there, first uh, sentence of this tweet is wrong. Then I never asked Mitch McConnell for a vote before the election has been, which has been incorrectly reported. That's that's not true. There's no evidence of that. In fact, the evidence is that Trump himself quoted Mitch McConnell, and so therefore, not only is it not incorrect, he's he's claiming he himself was incorrect in what he said, which of course then means that the New York Times was not inaccurate in what they reported. It's clear Trump wanted to do this now. And McConnell said, you know what, um, <laughs> dude, <laughs> it's a really bad idea. It's a bad idea to make this the campaign issue, but put, put us all on the record just before a campaign uh, when we don't have a, a viable alternative for Obamacare, uh, which is, by the way, that's always been the biggest problem. The repeal of Obamacare has always been doable. It's the replacement part that Republicans have never been able to come up with a viable alternative for, which is why Trump is obsessed with John McCain's vote, which was not. Let me say this one more time, because I'm, I'm the only one I know that continues to fight this battle because <laughs> it's I guess because it's too nuanced. But J Trump loves blaming John McCain for killing Obamacare repeal and replace. That's not what happened. 
John McCain voted down what was called skinny repeal, that nobody wanted to become law. All right? Let's be clear about that. This was not a repeal and replace. This was a a tactical gimmick, a procedural gimmick to try to keep the process alive that McCain didn't trust Trump enough on and he knew he was going to die soon, so he voted no on. It was the proper vote. It was not. It was, it, Trump's trying to pretend now that we had repeal Obamacare and replace it with something awesome on the table and that John McCain was the only reason why that didn't pass. That is not true. That is... And of course, McCain can't defend himself because he's dead. So this idea that, that somehow there's ever been a replacement that Republicans have come up with is, is flat out false. And, uh, and, but Trump wants you to believe that, and that's why he goes after McCain so much. But here's why Republicans can't come up with an alternative. There's a couple reasons. The big reason why Republicans can't come up with an alternative is because we have so abandoned the idea of the free market dictating our health care system that going backwards would be seen would be seen as draconian and in- incredibly politically incorrect. And once you've given people, uh, you know, some sort of a government benefit, you can't take it away. It's not possible, especially in the area of healthcare, because then the media will say, oh, you're killing people. People are dying and suffering because of it. once you've gone down that path, there's no going back. But, but more specifically, and this relates to the last part of the tweet, which might be the most dangerous and, and, and an indication that Trump really has no idea what he's talking about. He says Republicans will always support pre-existing conditions. Well, okay, fine. And what, well, of course, what he means by that is that if you have a pre-existing condition, you can't be rejected from the government health care program currently known as Obamacare. I don't agree with that philosophically, but here's the bigger problem. If you're going to, to stick with that, and Republicans in the past have always said, wait a minute, we can't, you know, rational Republicans have always said, we can't protect all pre-existing conditions because we don't philosophically believe in the mandate. We don't believe that the government should force all Americans to get health care. And this is, I guess this is too complex for most people to understand. It's not too complex for me. You cannot, and this is, this is not ambiguous, this is not a matter of controversy. You cannot protect all pre-existing conditions without a mandate. You cannot do it because if you don't have the mandate, guess what's going to happen? Younger, healthier people are not going to buy health insurance. And that means the pool of people in the insurance market are going to be older. And because they have pre-existing conditions, they're going to be less healthy. So what does that mean? That means it's impossible for an insurance company to survive unless what happens? Insurance rates skyrocket, which is already an indication uh, is happening with the, the Obamacare market. Well, we just got rid of the mandate. Trump got rid of the mandate. The Republican Congress and Trump got rid of the mandate. So there is no mandate anymore. So now... 
you're going to have a situation where Republican, the Republican position, thanks to Donald Trump, because he doesn't want to be blamed for leaving you know, sick people without health insurance, understandably politically. So you're so there's there's you're going to protect pre-existing conditions as a Republican, but you're also not in favor of the mandate because you just got rid of the mandate. That can't work. That's tr- like trying to make two plus two equal five. It is not mathematically possible. It is simply a matter of when, not if, the system implodes. So you cannot have an alternative to Obamacare without making that decision. And Trump doesn't want to make that decision. He wants to have his cake and eat it too. You you cannot, I'll say it one last time, you cannot protect pre-existing conditions without a mandate. We currently do not have a mandate. And yet Trump does not want to deal with that fundamental reality because he's not a policy guy. I'm not even sure he understands it. He probably doesn't even care. He just wants to pretend because he promised he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare, that much like the wall, he's fighting for this. It's never going to actually get done, but he's fighting for it. So that's that's the, the news that I want to talk about regarding uh, Trump directly. Indirectly, the biggest news over the last several days has been the attempted takedown of Vice Pre- former Vice President Joe Biden, who is the prospective Democratic frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination. I have said numerous times on this podcast that determining the chances of, for Trump's reelection are really dictated largely by what happens with Joe Biden. And I have correctly predicted, as I did in the last edition of the Individual One podcast and in a column I wrote for Mediaite, that this initial allegation, this so-called Me Too allegation, although, boy, have we watered down Me Too. Uh, I mean, when, when Me Too is now about uh, five years ago, uh, someone, uh, in, in this case Joe Biden, uh, gave an inappropriate kiss to my hair at a uh, at a political event where he was coming in town to uh, promote my candidacy, as Lucy Flores, former assemblywoman from Nevada, has now claimed. When that's a Me Too violation, then something has gone wrong with Me Too. Me Too has become a monster that is out of control because that is not sex abuse. That is, okay, weird behavior. It's a weird uh, personal boundary issue that Joe Biden has. But I, I failed to understand the significance of it. But I predicted at the time, and this may have been the entire political purpose of the Flores allegation, that this was going to open the floodgates against Joe Biden. Because let's look at it logically. When you set the bar for a news story at, he gave me an a awkward kiss on my hair, <laughs> which I did not deem to be criminal. And I'm only now talking about it because he uh, might be coming into the presidential race. When that's the threshold and the news media accepts that as a legitimate news story, which they did, and they interviewed her on on multiple television shows and her op-ed piece was given wide news coverage, once that's the standard, once that is where the marker is, now there's no going back. Because now every single woman, and, and Biden has met thousands of women over the years in similar circumstances thousands so just do the math when you have met thousands of women and you have you know weird boundary issues and you're potentially the front runner 
for the Democratic presidential nomination, but only about 30, 35 percent of the Democratic uh, base supports you currently. That means that that there's at least a 65 percent chance that any liberal that has met him in the past wants somebody else to be the vice president, to be the Democratic presidential nominee. So if you do the math, the pool of potential women who could come forward with any sort of incredibly benign allegation, be taken seriously, get their 15 seconds of fame, and get embraced by the majority of the Democratic base that is not yet in the Biden camp, my gosh, it's amazing that there's only been a handful so far that have come forward with very similar stories to the story of Lucy Flores. And by the way, I don't necessarily believe Lucy Flores is lying. I think you can easily, even a slight exaggeration of a story, especially five years later, where it's impossible for Biden to defend himself, especially in this this witch hunt, Me Too environment. You shade it just slightly. It's kind of like with Bill Barr. You're not lying. You're just shading it ever so slightly. And something to become that was totally innocent has somewhat of a sinister air to it, just enough for the media to be able to justify reporting it. So this is going to go down in one of two ways. My sense is that we're going to hear more and more from these women. I believe that Flores, who is clearly a Sanders supporter from 2016, she cut a commercial for him in 2016. She was on his, I don't know if she still is, but she was on his political action committee board. There's some indication that she might now be a Beto O'Rourke supporter, but it is obvious that she has a political incentive to come forward. And the fact that she's the first, always look at the first allegation. To me, her story is incredibly similar to the Leanne Tweeden allegation against Al Franken, which I believe to this day was a political hit job that was blatantly obvious. Leanne Tweeden is not a credible person. She does a radio show in a crappy radio station here in Los Angeles. She's a former nude model. Uh, she, uh, She went to an event celebrating Al Franken's work on the USO, which is where this event alleged of sexual harassment occurred. Uh, where she went across the country and she was with Al Franken in the VIP room. There's photos of this where they're joking around together in an event she's traveled 3,000 miles to honor him for years later. She tweeted about this event nostalgically years later, her and Al Franken on the stage together. It was all bogus. And much like with Joe Biden, it opened the floodgates for other women who, for whatever reason, you know, when you deal with when you have a pool of thousands of people you've dealt with, things are going to happen where somebody feels uncomfortable or feels like they have an incentive to come forward and tell a story that they were uncomfortable. That's why that shouldn't be the standard. We've we've watered this down now to dangerous levels. Well, it took out Al Franken and it's possible it may force Joe Biden to decide, you know what, this just isn't worth it. And I would understand that from a personal perspective. If I was Joe Biden, I was told by a a second or maybe tertiary but reliable source that Biden was already, even before this, considering not running because he was concerned about the impact it would have on his family because there's some issues with with his son. So, uh, you know, that to me, it's quite possible that he may decide, you know what, I don't need this and I'm just not going to run, in which case those who 
I think, effectively set him up, will have won. And guess who, guess who else will have won? Donald Trump will have won because I continue to believe and have written extensively, wrote two columns about it this week for Mediaite, that Joe Biden is by far the person with the best chance to beat Donald Trump, barring Trump running into some massive disaster like the economy imploding or something like that, that Joe Biden has by far the best chance of beating Donald Trump. And so that's one scenario. There is still the scenario where this, in a weird way, helps Biden by getting it out of the way before he even announces and effectively inoculating him from the issue once he starts running. That is possible. We're, I think we're right on the precipice of this going either way right now. It probably depends on how many of these women come forward, how much media coverage they get, and how much Biden really wanted to run to begin with. It's interesting to me that while Biden has gotten a lot of support from a lot of people, including some women who have been used to attack him, like photos of them have been used to attack him, and they've said, hold on, wait a minute, this is out of context. That's not what happened. He was being totally cool. And he's gotten support from Nancy Pelosi, who said this is not disqualifying for being president. The person that has been weirdly silent has been Michelle Obama. It is bizarre to me, and I don't know if if maybe she's holding uh, her fire, keeping her powder dry, or maybe she doesn't really want Joe Biden to be the nominee. But if there was one person who could come forward right now and put a stop to this, it would be Michelle Obama. All she'd have to do is one interview and say, "Wait a minute, this is you know Joe is awesome. This is Joe being Joe. We were around him for eight years as the vice president." He was a great vice president, and and women ought to just take a chill on this. If she said anything like that, this story would be over. But she hasn't done that, and I find that to be interesting. I don't know how to interpret it, but there's something going on there. But the bottom line of all this, as I've written and and spoken on this podcast previously, is if it's not going to be Joe Biden, who's it going to be? I urge you to check out my latest column from Mediate. Just just Google it. <clears throat> it basically deals with the, the idea that if, if Joe Biden is suddenly not woke enough to be the Democratic presidential nominee, who else is there that can reliably beat Donald Trump? I do not know who that person is. I don't even see who it could theoretically be. Again, assuming conditions are somewhat similar in November of 2020 as they are now in April of 2019, and that's a big if. Let's, let's face it, a lot can change. But I think that people are a little <clears throat> too willing to just say, well, you know, we'll figure it out later. Things will change. Trump is really weak. He's going to get weaker. I, I, don't, I think those are very dangerous presumptions. And when I look at, at Bernie Sanders or Beto O'Rourke or Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren or Cory Booker or Pete Buttigieg, or Buttigieg, I'm not even sure how you say the last part of his name. When I look, and those are the six people who are getting the most attention right now. When I look at any of those, they all have massive problems. Like, for instance, Mayor Pete from South Bend. And I, I, you know, it's hilarious to me that he's getting so much media coverage. I like him. I understand his appeal. He's got an Obama-esque 
for a white guy, an Obama-esque appeal that it seems similar to Obama in, 20, uh, in 2007. But in 2007, Obama, while he came out of nowhere, at least was a U.S. senator. Mayor Pete is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's 37 years old. <laughs> his, his political resume is weaker than Sarah Palin's was when she ran for vice president in 2008. I get that he's smart. I get he's highly educated. Of course, liberals love him because he's gay. And yet no one wants to mention that in any of his biographies. They're like pretending. It, it, it's, it is hilarious. It, you know, as Charles Barkley would say. It's just flat out ridiculous. That, that, that we're going to talk. The reason why we love Mayor Pete, and when I say we, I'm talking about the liberal media and elements of the progressive left. The reason why we love him, let's be clear, is he's gay. If he wasn't gay, if he was just a white male who was married with ch- with children, who 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 actually had the genders that the that the God gave them, if he was a traditional white male who was heterosexual, he, no one would even take him seriously. The whole reason why liberals love him is he's gay. And yet they never want to mention that he's gay. As if he's going to be able to get through the entire campaign without anyone knowing. Now, uh, against a normal Republican, he might be able to do that. I mean, it would become an issue, but it wouldn't be something that 100% of the public would necessarily know. It would be kind of like you know FDR when uh, he was president for many years uh, in a wheelchair and most of America had no idea. I'm not relating being gay to being a hand, having a handicap. I'm saying that that's the way the media would protect him on this. But you're forgetting something. He would be running against Donald freaking Trump. And Donald Trump would be making an issue of him being gay every single day as president of the United States. And I'm sorry, things have changed. Things have changed a lot. A lot for the better. And I don't give a damn that that Mayor Pete is gay. I really don't. But I'm telling you from a political standpoint, if 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 you want Donald Trump to be removed from office, you're really going to put all your eggs in the basket of a 37-year-old small-town mayor who's gay? In an an election that's going to be decided in Pennsylvania and Florida? Come on, people. You cannot be serious. As John McEnroe might say, you cannot be serious. It's just flat out ridiculous. Oh, now, is it possible? Now, if, if things went absolutely perfectly and the economy tanked and, and uh, you know, Mayor Pete ran a tremendous race and, and Trump, uh, you know, made numerous mistakes, could he beat him? Sure. Sure, any, any of these people could beat Trump because that's how weak Trump really is. But I'm not, we're not talking about could. I'm talking about would. Would. And Biden is the only guy in the would category. Everyone else is in the, in the could and maybe close to the Hail Mary category, depending on how the breaks go. So... I wrote a, uh, that, that column for Mediate where I break down why, and I'm sure in the, in the future I'll do this on this podcast with more specificity because there's a lot to say about why Sanders and O'Rourke and Harris and Warren and Booker all have major problems. And I'm sure there are people saying, but John, there's other people running. Yeah, but they don't matter because they can't win the nomination. All right? This cannot be emphasized enough.
We already know how the Democratic primary is going to basically go. You can't get traction if there's no lane on the progressive side of the Democratic primary. It's not like everyone's suddenly going to coalesce around, you know, one of these female Democratic senators who aren't, you know, quite as batshit uh, liberal crazy because suddenly everyone realizes they're the most electable or uh, or the best matchup for Trump. That's not going to happen. That's not the way that the, the process works. That's not the way their mentality works. They want to fall in love. They already are under this misconception that Trump's going to be easy to beat. So unless you have massive name recognition and, and massive money, you need a biography that it's going to be potentially able to catch fire amidst this very crowded primary. Obama was able to do that in 2008 because obviously he's half black. And so that was what, and he was, you know, very smart and a great speaker. So all of that allowed him to catch fire. There's nobody else currently in the running where that can happen. And the only reason, as I mentioned, it's happening with Mayor Pete is because he's gay. And I predicted that this was going to happen with Mayor Pete. I didn't think it would happen this fast. But liberals are all about biography. And his biography is very enticing. I get it. It ain't going to work against Donald Trump in a general election without all the breaks going your way. But I get why people are excited about that. Because he's, he's a very interesting guy. Good speaker. He might probably be a better president than Donald Trump. But uh, this is about winning. This is about winning the Electoral College. And no one can explain to me how that happens. And that makes me very, very worried. So with that, um, as we always end every edition of the Individual One podcast, I'm ticking the percentages, in one case very slightly, and in another case rather significantly. Uh, We're not going to put the chances that Donald Trump is not able to finish his first term in office at 5%. And most significantly, his reelection percentage now for the first time is above 50 percent because of the treatment of Joe Biden. And it's very clear to me in the last several days that liberals just do not get it. They do not understand how difficult this is theoretically going to be, especially if the economy maintains itself. Now, that that might not happen. There are some storm clouds on the horizon for the economy. But, you know, we're only a year and a half away. And so uh, there's a pretty good chance the economy is still going to be a positive for Donald Trump. And the economy generally dictates these things. You need somebody who can be already accepted as a potential president who has gotten through that threshold, that presidential threshold. And Joe Biden's the only person who has done that so far on the Democratic side, having been vice president for eight years. So unless you can find somebody else, that's the person you ought to go to if your goal is to beat Donald Trump. Well, It seems to me that liberals are not going to do that in all likelihood. They still could, but it's unlikely. And so, therefore, I'm putting the chances of Donald Trump's reelection at this moment at 55 percent. So 5 percent for not uh, finishing his first term and 55 percent for actually being reelected for a second term. On that happy note, that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. And until next time, which will be Sunday morning, West Coast time here in the United States in Los Angeles, California, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. Global Story Network.